0: Hello and welcome to the Hill Country Business Podcast, where we connect business owners to create a stronger community. Each week, we share stories about real people doing real things in the Texas Hill Country. Thank you for joining us. This is episode 20, and we have the pleasure of speaking with Beth boiso With over 17 years of experience, Beth specializes in insurance products for banks and real estate investors. If you own a business of any size, tune in and learn where there may be gaps in your insurance coverage. Let's learn more.
1: We're so happy to have you with us today to educate us and tell us about what you do. So maybe we can get started and you can talk about a little bit about your background and then we'll go into what you're doing now.
2: Sounds good. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. So exciting.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, insurance isn't usually considered exciting, but hurricanes and tornadoes are not boring. So
1: Absolutely. And then let's talk about them.
2: Yes. So I'm Beth Boiso Coots and I am a commercial insurance broker and I work for US Risk. When we were acquired by US Risk, we were the sixth largest brokerage in the United States, but I think we're probably closer into number one at this point. And I've been doing this for 17 and a half years. I got started in it in 2006. And actually, it's kind of interesting because before that, I was in sales for a, about a year. But prior to that, I was a commercial artist. So what does that mean? Well, I did like art, art for businesses. And and some residential too, but I would do a lot of like murals in restaurants and oh, how doctor's office. So it was a complete one eighty yeah. to go from that to commercial insurance.
1: Do you have a degree
2: in art? No, I have I got up to my junior year with a double major in art history and fine arts and then a minor in French. But don't ask me to speak French because <laughs> I can't. <laughs> bonjour yes yes i i come out of france with an accent but not the language which is in the, ridiculous but
1: <laughs> well, i heard if you say it in an accent then it's like speaking the language
2: you know it kind of is but i get like six months away from france and all of a sudden my french accent sounds mexican so you know <laughs> it's it's uh i don't even try but
0: Five minutes later.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Oh, very, very
0: good. (laughs) That's SpongeBob. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But it was very, that was on. That was on point. But yes, so I got into commercial insurance and I started doing primarily bank insurance. And then the financial crisis hit. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with the term forced place insurance, but that's where a lender has the ability to place coverage on a borrower's asset. Like if it's a house and the borrower lets their insurance lapse, then the bank or the lender, if it's it's a mortgage lender, and outside of a bank, has the ability to put insurance on the property to cover their interest in it. So I was very involved with that. But then during the financial crisis, these investors were buying huge pools of distressed loans. And they needed something similar to the Force place product. There was nothing out there. So we were at the top of the search engines because uh, my dad, who's my boss, told me in January of 2007, Beth, we need to dust off the Force place product because economies are cyclical and this one's about to bust. So I went and got us, you know, the pay-per-click and the search engine optimization and so we were at the top of the list. So these investors who were buying these huge portfolios of distressed assets were calling me. So I got very involved in real estate investor insurance. Since then, that product, that type of insurance has evolved. I've been involved with that, very involved with it, actually. So it, banks have to have a financial institution bond, a director's and officer's liability policy, cyber liability, you know, property. Errors and Emissions, and EPLI. So there's a whole bunch of different types of coverage that banks have to have. And forced place is one of them.
1: Can you explain how the economy can affect forced place insurance?
2: In a strong economy, borrowers don't often let their insurance lapse. And the other side of the forced place policy is that if it goes into foreclosure, they just go online and they can add liability they they change the status and liability coverage is added as well because at that point there is an exposure to them on the liability side that is a part of what banks need but they don't often pay attention to it or have it during strong economies so in 2007 that's why we my dad being you know a financial whiz saw what was coming and got me on board and So that's how we were set up for the financial crisis. And then real estate investors kind of came along on the other side of that.
1: Okay, that makes sense. So how do you spend your time now?
2: Now, I spend a lot of time with real estate investors. They have got clients in almost every state, not Alaska, not South Dakota, I just realized, because there's There's not... Not a lot of real estate investing happening in those states. Oh, really? In
1: so South, Dakota? And so Saudi- South Dakota? In South Dakota.
2: Well, I don't know that there are a lot of opportunities. You know, you don't have...
0: Is it more farming? Yeah. Kind of, okay.
2: Yeah, and wild land. So, and then I got into doing a lot of apartments, you know, multifamily. And then these folks are buying retail shops and office buildings. And so it just expanded from there. And here I am. So, my husband and I now are really focused on our local area. We love dripping springs and really want to build some business here and kind of where we're at.
1: Knowing that you just do corporate insurance, can you explain if someone was to use your services what they should expect?
2: Yes. Uh, Yes, absolutely. So, I'm the person that comes in and meets with business owners and analyzes the business and looks for areas where there are exposures, areas that could cause problems that will cost them money. And then I find insurance solutions to hopefully mitigate that for them. So if and when those problems occur, they will be protected and their business is protected.
1: So obviously most businesses are going to have general liability insurance, but can you explain what that covers and what that means?
2: So general liability, that's a broad term that covers a lot of different things. But in a sense, or to boil it down, it's if you become legally obligated to pay damages for bodily injury or property damage. So a food truck, obviously, you know, if they have spoiled food or food that causes somebody to get sick for whatever reason, there, there was an exposure there. They could be sued for damages.
0: Not just a food truck. That could be any other
2: restaurant. Any restaurant and then you know kind of expanding on that in restaurants liquor liability if they serve liquor that's a huge exposure there so they need that coverage so different things like that right
1: do most business owners that would open a restaurant or serve alcohol know that they need is it just general liability or is it something special that they need to get in terms of coverage that maybe they
2: so but yeah there's there's endorsements that are added specific to specific businesses so that would be, you know, under the general liability side of the house.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, not too long ago, I had a chat with a customer in California, and he has a lot of RVs that he sells, brand new RVs. And in the middle of the night, a driver, without a driver license, without insurance, obviously not from the United States, drove through the fence and smash into a couple of his vehicles. And he's on the hook for, I think, three or $400,000, something like that. And his insurance company is now telling him, oh, no, we, you don't have the coverage for that. And he was sure that he had that coverage.
1: Oh, wow. This, is a, this was an example. He was telling me about this last night. And I go, well, that's kind of what Beth does. She goes into businesses, does an analysis of the types of insurance that they have, and say, hey, you have, you have a gap here. And so, if he had somebody like you, I think that would have been able to tell him, "Hey, if you get hit in the middle of the night by someone without a license, yeah, the vehicle just standing there, yeah." So now his insurance won't cover him. Like,
0: and his insurance company now is avoiding him; they're not taking his calls anymore. And the agent is out on vacation.
1: (laughs) Oh, of
2: course. (laughs) He's like,
0: "I don't care if you're on vacation; I'm on the hook for several hundred thousand dollars."
2: We don't get vacations in my business. Yeah. Vacations (laughs) Vacations <laughs> I work. I'm not even kidding. I mean, every vacation, I work at least half a day, because it doesn't stop. you know life happens. Yeah, exactly. Accidents happen. So a couple of things on that, just off the top of my head. I don't know who his carrier is, I don't know what his coverage is. However, go with carriers that are A-rated or above with AM best and standard and poors. Those are, you know, agencies that rate insurance carriers on, you know financial solvency payments of claims, and different things like that. So I also don't know what his property coverage was. In an ideal world, the insurance company would, on the property side, would cover the damage to his inventory. Then they would go after the driver. Even though the guy is illegal and has no insurance, they would attempt to subrogate whatever they had paid on it through him, through legal means. So, I mean, even though the guy doesn't have an insurance he's, that was driving, he's still obligated to pay the property damage Regardless that he caused. of that state. Exactly. Oh. Along those lines, real estate investors or got a property manager that's managing an apartment complex. You know, more and more, they require the tenant to have HO4, which is renter's insurance, because of the fact that with that type of coverage, there's $100,000 of liability. So if that tenant does any damage to that property, that's the first line of defense for these property managers. They don't have to make the claim on their property policy. Right. So it's very important to have that type of coverage in place too. And a lot of my real estate investors don't, don't want to do that. They don't want to make that requirement of their, their tenants. Why and not? They think it's going to limit the renter pool or the available renters, and
1: it really doesn't. I feel like renter's insurance is pretty nominal, 20 bucks or something.
2: Yeah, it's about 20 bucks a month. But if they don't want to get it, there's another option for them. It's called tenant legal liability. And what that does is it's in the, the landlord's name, so they're the named insured, but it does the same thing. It gives them $100,000 of liability on that tenant and they can charge it to the tenant oh, so that's smart yes because oftentimes these renters will you know they'll buy the insurance show it to them to get in the apartment and then they
0: stop paying for it yeah,
2: yeah. the large property managers are going to have the insurance tracked which is something else my office does
1: oh tell us about that
2: so insurance tracking, outsourced insurance tracking, that's for mortgage lenders and for property managers. It's where they have another company tracking the insurance on their borrowers or their tenants. And then if...
1: Who knew? Yeah,
2: it's a that. whole thing. Wow. <laughs> Apartment oh conferences do that, right? Um, the bigger ones do. Yeah,
0: because I, I, I feel like that's what they did with a friend of ours.
2: If you don't prove that you have the insurance or you let it lapse, then they force... Going back to the force place insurance, they will force either renters or if it's um, a mortgage lender, they will force place.
0: So what what kind of, I, I know it's commercial insurance, it, you go to the commercial industry, but is it a particular size of business that you would work with? I mean, there's a lot of small businesses here that need commercial insurance, but is it, you go after the bigger companies?
2: Well, so my background is, you know, nationwide. And we you know i tend to do larger risks but since my husband and i have moved here he started his own insurance agency and we're very focused and committed to serving the community so really any size on commercial here in dripping okay yeah
0: small restaurant
2: yeah we we love the community and we saw you know a need for the experience you know nationwide brokerage experience here in this community and that what we bring to the table and and I act as his broker. So what we bring to the table is we have all the major carriers that do these type of risks at our disposal because of my W-2 job. So he can access that through me and then, you know, serve the community that way.
0: So you're not locked into just one insurer.
2: Right, right. We have, you you you
0: have several of them. So it's not a one size fits all.
2: Exactly. So, like, if it's a restaurant, you know, we we would he would bring it to me, and then he's he's got some other avenues as well. If you know I can't provide the right thing, but what the flow is just to make it simple is he brings it to me or one of his other MGAs, and then I take it or, or they take it and shop all the carriers that do that particular type of insurance, and then depending on what comes back, you know, if we get multiple offers, then we put it in the spreadsheet, so it's very easy to compare. You know, the it's apples to apples. Okay, you know, this coverage is this level here and this premium and, and then which line by line. You know, our goal is to make it as simple as possible and have it make sense. And typically there's going to be one clear answer that's that makes the most sense.
0: Yeah. So Beth, how would a business owner know if they are overinsured or underinsured?
2: Well, I mean, it depends. It's a simple explanation would be right now, property replacement costs have gone way up because building materials and labor has gone up. So if somebody hasn't reviewed their insurance since 2019, they just keep getting the renewals, they keep getting renewals, it's very likely that they are underinsured on the property side. And if there's a total loss, they're not going to have enough to cover the rebuild. So that's one very relevant in this moment example of being underinsured.
1: That's a good point you bring up. So everyone needs to take a look at their insurance and make sure they're properly covered.
2: Exactly. Well, and of course, we, we say everybody should read their policy, but nobody does. And that's why it's good to partner with somebody who knows insurance, knows policies, can go through it quickly and say, okay, well, here's where you are and here's where you need to be or you're doing great. In fact, you probably have way too much.
0: One of the many benefits of working with a broker is, number one, is you're not using just one insurance partner that you have, right? So it's not just ABC company. It could be XYZ company that you work with. So you can shop every year and say, oh, hey, uh, I think ABC company is way too high and I have another option that would be less for the same similar coverage. If there is a possible claim, a lot of times it's better to call you as a broker and say, hey, I think my windshield smashed and should I call ABC Insurance Company? Or and you might say, oh, no, you know, just pay out of pocket. It'll be a lot cheaper for you to do that versus putting a claim for something so small and then your rates might go up because you have a claim.
2: Yes, absolutely. So a few things on that. We do handle all the claims out of our office, so a claim would come through us anyway. But yes, I get a lot of calls just exactly like that, and the first thing I do is I look at their deductible, and I say, okay, well, you know, you're talking about $4,000 water claim, and your deductible is $5,000. Definitely do not put in the claim. So that's the first thing I do is I, I look at their deductible, and then we talk through it. How will this affect you? Is it worth doing? Can you afford to come out of pocket? So there's a lot that would go into it depending on the circumstance, and each circumstance is different.
0: Are there certain measures that business owners could take to reduce their liability so that they wouldn't have to have such high coverage?
2: It depends on where the properties are located. If it's in a high crime area, you want to be sure you know your HVAC system is secured because those get stolen a lot. You want to make what? sure that... HVACs. I oh my gosh. Yeah, I had,
0: those things are expensive. Really? I
2: had That's one. That's a thing? Oh, it's a, yeah. I had I one can't client. I converters then. <laughs> this guy, he, bless his heart, he has like, you know, 50 rental properties. And one of them, he had the air conditioning unit stolen. So we filed a claim. We got it replaced. And not even a week after it was replaced, it got stolen again. <laughs> now, he's got that thing chained to the ground. <laughs> I mean,
1: he's like not messing
2: around. Yeah. But, um. One thing, you know, we talked wow. about a minute ago is certain areas where people may not have coverage, but they should. And kind of going back to the property managers and real estate investors, did you know that on most general liability policies, dog bites are excluded? No. So if you're a property manager, you have a multifamily and your tenant has a, a dog that bites somebody.
0: What happens?
2: Well, that would be excluded.
0: You wouldn't have any coverage. So you're liable as a homeowner? So well, the
1: person a homeowner can too, yeah. the
2: renter and the homeowner? Yeah. Let's say you own an eight-unit apartment complex and this happens. You have an exposure there. You can add that back in by endorsement. You know, you can't control all your renters. And you definitely can't control all your renters' dogs.
0: Even if you have a policy that you're prohibiting a dog? Right. And it, they do yeah. that, you're still liable?
1: Exactly, yes. Wow. You still have an so exposure. you're
0: better off, really, if you can, just to add that. Oh, yes. Just to be safe.
1: Good. I think this is why anyone that owns a business needs to give you a call so that you can do an assessment of where they're exposed.
2: Well, I would love it. We're always happy to help and do reviews on policies. But I tell my clients in all the talks I've ever done, I always say, have your team. If you're a business owner, you have a lot of hats that you wear and you can't be an expert in everything. So delegate. Delegate. Have your attorney that specializes in whatever it is you do. Have your real estate broker. Have your CPA and have your insurance person. And, you know, it may not be me. You may click with somebody else, but have your people. Assemble your team so that you can get to what you do and focus on that.
1: What are the main things business owners need to know about insurance? Have
2: your team. Know what your insurance covers. Know, know what your deductible is know the difference between special form and basic form insurance. And by the way, the form is the contract that the insurance is written on. So okay, I was
1: just going to ask.
2: Basic form, that insurance policy is going to cover only what is listed on the policy. And it's typically the five basic perils and then endorsed for theft. Obviously, there's a lot that can happen outside of wind and fire and, you know, these types of things. So. Special form is the more broad coverage. That's going to cover everything except what is excluded in writing. Like general so it's liability? Kind of no, this thing, is or? on the property side. Oh. So then on the general liability side, yeah, because there's two sides of, of commercial insurance. There's the property side that's going to cover things like fire or hail or wind. And then there's the general liability side. And that's covering you, like I mentioned before, if you become, as a business owner, legally obligated to pay damages for property damage or bodily injury. And that could be as simple as the tree and on your property fell on somebody's car. That's general liability claim.
0: What about someone who drives on the highway and then crashes into your property? Your property is right off the highway. I mean, you see it every now and then on 290.
2: That would be a property claim. However. For the driver that did it, that would be a general liability claim. If the driver, kind of going back to that first example that we were talking about, if the driver doesn't have an insurance, your property coverage will kick in, and then they will go after the driver of the vehicle got it yeah, that's kind of a combination of different insurance policies
0: so if I own a rental, is that then considered is that considered commercial insurance that I would need on that or
2: it's yes and it's landlord insurance, depending on the number of properties that you own, that would kind of inform how we went about covering it. So if it was just one, we'd just get a typical landlord policy. We'd go with the the one that made the most sense because they can vary a lot, even between my carriers. It's crazy. If you owned more than three, then we'd look at master policies, which would allow you to add properties as necessary as you acquired them, to the policy without additional underwriting.
0: Okay. What if you have rental property spread across the United States, state of Nevada, Texas, California, can you insure those properties?
1: Yes. Yes. We do a lot of that. Chances are if you have multiple properties or you have some type of property management, do they handle the insurance or is that something you still handle?
2: Well, sometimes they are. Like, I work with property managers all the time. And in fact, the property manager that manages our rentals up in Dallas uses my policy. The different owners, they can opt out. You know, they can carve those, theirs out of it and go get their own. And I work with people that do that, too. You know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat pardon mine. sorry Frodo um
1: no, I'm totally on this <laughs> yeah um, but
2: you know it just it depends on the situation and that's why you need to have somebody that you work with that understands your business whether it be real estate investing or restaurants or RV lots so that analyzing the business seeing what makes the most sense what's the best fit what's going to be the best carrier what's the best coverage type what's the best form you know all on and on Some of my mortgage note investors don't need all the bells and whistles of a special form policy with ordinance of law and sewer backup. They just need basic form, standalone, force place, keep it cheap, keep it simple. They just want to cover their investment. Is
1: there an advantage with a commercial piece of property if it's paid for versus having a mortgage note on it?
2: Well, what it might change would be your risk tolerance. So let's say you've got an office building and it's completely paid for. You may say, well, I can self-insure to a higher degree and pay less premium because I have a bucket of money over here to reach X limit. And what that would mean would be, you know, let's look at a $20,000 deductible and, or, you know, $100,000 deductible. We've got some large clients who have hundred thousand dollar deductibles because they can self-insure to that point. So that's where it would really, that's where it gets interesting. Yeah. It's
0: kind of a risk you take, that yeah. you're willing to take.
2: Yeah. It, yeah. It, and it, re- it just really depends a lot on the specific business owner and their, their risk appetite. Yeah. And it's funny cause it's always in California, but <laughs> <laughs> my California people, and it doesn't matter what the business is, they want the highest limits of liability they can get. So a typical general liability policy for a business is going to be a $2 million aggregate per year. That's not enough for my California folks. They want to bump that up so we get umbrellas, excess umbrellas, and put that over the top of it. And usually, it seems like the sweet spot is a total of $5 million, but some of them want more than that. And why is that? I think it's the regulatory environment in California.
1: And it, does it actually benefit them to have this extra umbrella, or is it just... Well, kind yes,
2: if they get sued because business owners so in California get sued more often? oftentimes are seen as having deeper pockets. And so, yes, they do get sued more often because people think, oh, well, you're a business owner and you're in California. You must have money.
1: I want to just add a curiosity, you said you were an artist. <laughs> in a <laughs> former life. In a former life. Yeah. So can you talk about that transition of doing that to switching over to actual insurance? Was that, was that just your dad saying, hey, come work with me? Or what was the transition?
2: Well, so in 2004, I got a divorce and I was recovering from a spider bite. Spider
1: and bite. I was,
2: yes, of all things. And I was thinking to myself as I'm just pondering life, I'm like, wow, well, you know, I'm in a new place. And I'm really tired of doing commissioned works, is what it was. So it was everybody else's vision, not mine. And it was a lot of work physically. I mean, there were times I had three levels of scaffolding because I was doing a two-story building on the outside of it. I was wow. just sort of you know, contemplating life, thinking, I'm going to do something different. I made a few phone calls, and some of my girlfriends said, you know, we think you'd be good in sales. I thought, well, that sounds interesting. So I called a few more people, you know, because, you know, I'm convalescing, so I don't have anything else to do. And um, they said, you know, it's 2004, and things aren't looking so good right now. The economy was a little bit in a slump. Good luck. Well, <laughs> well it was, it, one of them said to me, she said, so do you have a resume? Or no, she, she started with, do you have any experience? And I said, no. She said, do you have a degree? I said, no. She said, well, good luck. Well. <gasps> So I just sort of put it out there, you know, you know, I I just really had a lot of trust in, you know, higher power at that point. So I just kind of put it out there. A month later, that same woman came and said, Beth, I have just been hired as a regional manager for a commercial energy company. They're new to Texas. Are you interested? Because I have, I need a team. And I said, but Gwen, I don't have a degree or any experience. And that's when she said, well, do you have a resume? And I said, no. She said, (laughs) Yeah, I was hurting. She says, Well, come over on Sunday. So I went over there, we cobbled together this, probably the worst resume in the history of resumes. And by Wednesday, I'd been hired. And it was a really good job. Then, you know, the first week, I'm kind of on cloud nine. And then the second week, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, they're gonna realize they hired a fake. So I went to (laughs) Barnes and Noble, I bought all these books and read like the first chapter on each book on selling. And then I just Hit the street, and I just went door to door to these businesses. And oddly enough, you put energy out there, and it does come back to you sometimes in ways you never imagined. Well, by October 15th, I was the top salesperson. And um, look at you. I stayed in that position, and my dad saw that I could sell. And at that time, he owned our company, and he's like, Well, we need you. So he, he hired me away, which was a real blessing because what none of us knew. My ex-husband had cancer, and we had kids that were still in school. I think the youngest at that point was 10, and Jessica was 11, Nick was 18. I needed to be really available to them because a year and a half later, he died. And, you know, they, they still needed me. And, and during that time, you know, he was not available because he was sick and getting treatments and obviously not getting better. It was a blessing. But then, you know, can, it was kind of the same thing. It's like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, Jim, that's my dad. He didn't have a lot of time for teaching. So I just had to immerse myself. And so you ask the difference and how, how that was, you know, going from one thing to another that seemingly polar opposites. And the one thing about art and what I do now is there is a level of creativity that you have to apply. because every situation is different. Yeah. Every risk is different, even if it's in the same business. And you have to be able to look at each one as its own thing and see you know, what, what's the owner's risk appetite, what, where are their goals, where are they going, what do they currently have in place? So there's that level of creativity and, and finding the best solution. And that applies to both art, murals, large-scale murals on the outside of a building. Okay, how am I going to take this Eight by 10 rendering I did for the client and put it on this huge brick wall outside. And I'll tell you how I did it. I did chalk lines, I gridded it out with chalk lines. It was really fun. But the one thing about insurance that I have found in these 17 years is that I've never been bored. I never know it all. There's always something to learn, there's always a new challenge that can come from the clients or it can come from economic cycles and underwriting parameters you know, right now we're in a very tough insurance cycle. Underwriting is hard. You got to dig deep and you got to look at all the solutions. That has been really the best thing for me because I have a tendency to, once I feel like I've mastered something, I'm bored, I'm ready to move on. And I don't know that that I will ever completely or anybody will ever master commercial insurance.
1: And I think the people that are successful in sales do have a creative side because you do have to think outside of the box to create solutions for businesses, so exactly. it's a perfect fit for you. I I, mm-hmm. I think so. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So one of the things I think is super interesting, and I know it has to do with natural disasters. <laughs> <laughs> they are interesting. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. I'm but always looking for hurricanes. So the insurance world in the last few years has changed dramatically and I'm wondering if you can speak about that a little bit because I think it's really interesting and how maybe the prices have changed between the snowmageddon and the ice storms that we've had in Texas and what happened in Florida and those storms and its influence on insurance.
0: Is there a light at the end of the tunnel?
1: Oh there's always a light at the end of the tunnel
2: (laughs) yeah I mean it's it's cyclical just like any economic cycle yes the natural disasters have impacted insurance.
1: Can you address how the most recent natural disasters have affected the insurance for people here in Texas?
2: Everybody's dealing with that. Everybody. Um, and it has to do with, you know, Hurricane Ian cost, to date, $16.7 billion, with a B, dollars in Florida. Wow. And then the California wildfires. Every year upon year, just worse and worse and worse, um, we've got insurers pulling out of both those states, actually.
1: So there's actually insurance agencies that have pulled out of the state of Florida.
0: Yeah, I heard.
2: Yeah. Florida, unless it's a master policy for, for the real estate investor side, can't do it unless it's a master policy and they've got properties elsewhere. On the business insurance side, it's not quite as bad. But if you're a homeowner in Florida or just have one rental property, you're having a really rough time right now. And then California, same thing. All state and state farm have pulled out of the homeowners market and landlord market.
1: That's crazy.
0: But why are they I mean they have an earthquake once a Well, it's the a a fires. Moon, but, oh yeah, that's right.
2: Fires and then, you know, there was the drought and now there's been the flooding because all droughts end with a flood. But d- yeah, and then going back to the natural disasters, Dallas, Fort Worth, Kansas, North Texas in general, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, the wind claims have just been through the roof. Wind and hail Even this last spring, there was hail near Dallas that was the size of grapefruit. And I have pictures. It was no way, it was catastrophic.
1: When there's a lot of claims like that, does that insurance company go out of business?
2: No, no, because again, you know, the carriers I work with are all A rated and above, so they have the money to pay the claims. But that what that does impact is their underwriting. And so, this is where why you're seeing everybody's insurance going up because hurricane Ian, and the fires in california clovis new mexico of all things dallas fort worth um,
0: but doesn't inflation also have a part to play in that because if you have inflation then your cost to replace is still going to be higher
2: yes that's speaking to the replacement cost of things which also goes into the underwriting which equates to the higher rates that people are seeing
1: when you go into a business and do an analysis of their insurance plans, what's the biggest issue that you've seen?
2: Well, okay, so a few things come to mind. Oftentimes the replacement cost is not adequate because it has gone up. And oftentimes the general liability limits are too low. Another thing businesses aren't getting enough of is cyber insurance. Cyber liability is huge because Breaches. Cyber liability. Yes.
0: Oh.
2: Cyber breach is the hottest topic in insurance. And, you know, the bad guys just keep getting better at what they're doing. Yeah. So that's that's a huge area right there.
1: Okay. That's great because I didn't even know there was cyber insurance. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there is. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. That's huge. Any... Would that be for any company that has a website or for who?
2: Well, I mean, any company that's storing customers' data. Oh. Think about it. So
0: is it just okay. storing Hacking data?
1: into credit card info.
0: Not necessarily, right? It could be Social Security or it could be personal information, such as like medical facilities, right?
2: It, yeah, it can be anything. And it, it can even be something like, let's say it's um, one of the workers clicks on a link that they shouldn't have. And it's ransomware, and it or some other type of terrible virus, and you know you they've got emails going out to all their customer base that are also having these links.
0: Almost every business accepts electronic payments in there. Oh, that their place of business, right? Exactly. So, I mean, so I, I provide that service, and it's also using equipment that is up to date. But what about breaches where? There could be a hack. There are oh, people yeah. out there that are not, I mean, are not using safe practices when it comes to credit cards. I'm always blown away when I see that.
2: Yeah, that, and that's a huge issue. I mean, huge. Because again, the, the more things that we put in place or people, businesses put in place to circumvent these, these hackers from accessing their system, the better at accessing the system the hackers get. And it's, it's been very difficult to stay ahead of that. So a cyber policy, you know, it provides public relations coverage so that you can send information to all of, you know, the people, all your customers, anybody who is affected by it and offer them a certain amount of compensation for any damage it's done to them. You know, there's a variety of coverages within a cyber policy that would speak to any type of breach and how it would affect you and your customers.
0: But can a business owner that maybe their provider does not provide them a cyber coverage or anything that they like, can they call you and just get the cyber oh, yeah. coverage from you?
2: Yeah, you can get a standalone cyber policy, and that typically the banks, the banks will do that. They they will have some cyber coverage within their general liability, but then they get a separate cyber policy on top of that.
0: And I I think with credit cards, it's. Uh, per occurrence, per incident. So it could be anywhere, I think on average, it's fifteen dollars to $20,000 per card number that's been compromised, if, if that's traced to your business. So actually, it could cost a small business $300,000, $400,000
2: oh, in
0: a liability. And it's pretty hard to have a credit card account, payment processing account opened with a decent company later because they look at you at a very high risk. They say, now we can't approve you, and you end up working with some of those sharks.
1: I see that a
2: lot. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. It's a very talked about thing in my
1: world. I guess people just need to call you and have you do an assessment and see what they need. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Brilliant. (laughs) So how do people get a hold of you? Well,
2: they can call me or text me, at 972-342-4280 or they can go to www.lloyd-ins.com.
0: Okay. It's been a pleasure having you, over.
1: Well, thank you for having
0: me. It's been so fun. Yeah,
1: Yeah, thank you for all your information and I'm sure all the listeners will learn lots of things from you and give you a call.
2: Well, hopefully I didn't put them to sleep no No. (laughs) insurance people aren't real popular at parties
1: (laughs) I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with us
2: well thanks again I enjoyed it
0: thank you for listening today if you enjoyed this podcast make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts subscribe and review you can also visit our website at hillcountrypodcastatx.com